We're going to do a little bit of reading today, if that's okay. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, or your Bible apps. I know I kind of railed against the Bible app the last time I was here and said we needed to get actual Bibles, but that's okay. Paul says not to judge you in your keeps of your new moon Sabbaths. If you're an ESV, a King Jimmy, a new King Jimmy, a message, whatever, whatever it is. So I'm not your judge and your jury. But if you would, uh, open with me to Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on the head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant about it, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you also have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In, pour, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered. He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man of whom the Son of Man is betrayed. I would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here, while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebdi, he began to sorrowful, began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to the death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. 
And he came to the disciples and found them sound asleep. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later. See, this hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go see my betrayer is at hand. While he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him were a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus looked at him and said, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were there with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how when the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? At the hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against the robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me. But at this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they may put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and re to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he is utterly blaspheming. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered. He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know that man. After a little while, the bystanders came and said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for your ancient betrays you. Accent betrays you, excuse me. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. 
Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests of the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he went and he hung himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took the council, and they bought with them Potiphar's field, the burial place for Gentiles in the land of Israel. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled... What had been spoken of the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him in whom a price had been set some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even a single charge, so that they could govern, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, the one who was called the Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent him words, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that the riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released them for Barabbas. And having scourged, Jesus delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the government took Jesus to the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him astray to be crucified. As they went out, they found a man, Cyrene, Simon by the name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Gotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from that cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling upon Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top and bottom. The earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this is the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from, Ar- from Armatha named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in a new open tomb, which he had cut into the rock. And he rolled a great stone into the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Now, given how things have fallen this week, this next part as we close out 27 is, is very much like we see today. On the next day, the day after preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his apprentices go and steal him away and tell the people. He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. Today, Christ has not risen. Today, if we were to place ourselves back in the first century timeline, we're still awaiting the fulfillment of prophecy. The body is still laid in the tomb. They are still guarding it. Caiaphas is still scheming. There is still a lot of emotion today as 21st century apprentices of Jesus. We experience very similar things that the first century apprentices of Jesus experienced. Right now, many have over the last couple of days memorialized the Passover, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, depending upon what practices you do. For my family, we're Passover keepers. And we celebrate that Last Supper, the freely giving of the life of Messiah for each and every one of us. Without the atoning blood of Messiah, we would still be relegated to lost. The atoning blood of Messiah allows for us to be regathered and a new creation in the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 9, 24 tells us, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made by hands, which are copies of the true things, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest presents a high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not of his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages 
who put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered only once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who were eagerly waiting for him. Today, as we memorialize the fact that our Messiah has given his life, he's laying in a tomb, and now in the first century, we know that he conquered that tomb, he conquered the Satan, he conquered everything this life had to throw at him. But we cannot make the atoning sacrifice of Yeshua for naught. You see, Jesus demanded that we repent. Jesus demanded that we believe. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This is John the baptizer who's speaking here. He's out in the wilderness baptizing people by water, preparing people for the coming Messiah. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the Satan. And he was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is like the grand opening of the restaurant. This is like the, this is the, the, the first Facebook ad for the new church plant. Jesus comes and he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Two things, repent and believe in the gospel. If the kingdom of God is at hand and we recognize that the kingdom of God is at hand in our lifetime, then we're demanded to do two things by Jesus, repent and believe. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and assume that the fact that you are in this room today lets me know that you believe in Jesus, your Messiah. If you are in this room today and that is not the case, please see me after service because nothing else I say today is going to be more important for me than to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. But I'm going to assume right now that in this room, the reason why you're here is because you believe. In the gospel of Jesus. So then there is one thing we still have to make sure that we're actively engaged in to not diminish the atoning sacrifice of our Messiah. And that is we must repent. Jesus never shied away from calling people to repent. He had that charisma about him where he could go and and have some tough conversations with people and they would respond. Even Caiaphas and the leadership responded to Messiah. They just had had enough. And their pride and their jealousy and, and their anger led them to secure their position. Matthew four seventeen. from the time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repent. Hmm, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So wait, who are the righteous? In Luke, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who are the righteous then? If all are sinners, hmm, we're all to be called to Repentance. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Matthew 12, 41. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Paul or Luke 13, 3. 
You see, repentance isn't just the acknowledgement of sins. It's not just me standing up here at the pulpit and acknowledging that I struggle with anger or I struggle with, with pride or I struggle, I struggle with some of these things that the Bible says that I must be able to manifest out of my life. It's not just enough to stand up here and acknowledge the fact that I have sins. Every person in this room has sins. It is the radical call for inward change. First, that you would change your mind. Change the directions of your thoughts, your perceptions, your dispositions. Secondly, to literally change the direction of your physical movement. To teshuva. If you can't look at your phone without lust or the temptation of lust, time to go get a flip phone. If you cannot walk into a restaurant without overeating, it's time for you to not walk into a restaurant. If you can't walk in a way that keeps you from sinning in an area, you must turn around and walk the other way. Not just a mind change, it's a physical change. You need to be delivered from your addictions to be delivered from our prides, our lust, our idolatry of self, and especially in the Christian world, our idolatry of others. It's, it's, it's a dangerous thing. We, we love to watch a Stephen Furtick with a, a line in the neck bulge that's out. Or we love to watch Elevation Worship and Hail, Hail, Lion of Judah. And we're like, man, if we could only just do that at our church, we would be amazing. And we miss the fact that the entire song is about the Lion of Judah and putting the emphasis on Judah and the Messiah, and we're putting the emphasis on who? Who? Brandon Lake? Dude's legit. But that, let's not get into idolatry of others. Let's not elevate their talents above the one that gave them the talent. True repentance is us having a life-altering change of heart and mind. Whatever your sin might be. No one was excluded from the demand to repent from Jesus. He didn't, get, he didn't give Caiaphas like, hey man, I'm going to give you a flyer on this one. You're, you're good to go. You're safe. No one was excluded from the demand of repentance. It is absolutely impossible for you to fulfill your calling from God without repenting. I, just, I, want, I want to make that abundantly clear. Every person in this room has a calling from God. Every single one of you, I don't care if you're a new believer, I don't care if you've been a believer your entire life, every person was given a calling from God, and without repentance, it is absolutely impossible for you to walk in that calling. It will block it. It will hinder it. It will keep you. Self-deception and defensiveness are common tools we use to keep ourselves from operating in true repentance. We see this in 1 Samuel in the story of Saul. When we're given a calling and a mission, we dishonor God when we become defensive and blame others. There's no morality and maturity without personal accountability. Believers in this room, let me tell you, there's no morality or maturity without walking in personal accountability. If you don't have it, don't act like you're moral. Don't act like you're mature. God had personal accountability with the disciples and the apprentices and we must walk in that way as well. Today, I want to give you a couple of key things. You can take some notes on these if you like. They're just bullet points maybe for you to research, to go into the Scripture on. Um, key things to take away today. I want to talk to you about false repentance. And I want to give you four main outlines here. Four. My finger's tucked in there. Sorry, I should have done that one. Looks like I'm, I don't know how to count. I'm confused. One plus two is three. Four things. False repentance starts with self-deception in the defensive spirit. False repentance starts with a self-deception and a defensive spirit. Two, it is absolutely unresponsive to the intentions of God's words and commandments. It's unresponsive to the words of God 
in the commandments of God. Three, it uses others to alleviate our guilt and our responsibility. It's that but statement. I wouldn't have done it, but Aaron made me do it. That's false repentance. That is alleviating the guilt of the decisions that you have made in your life by attaching it to somebody else. It is concerned about its self-image, not about restoration. Guys, the entire book of the Bible is about restoration and reconciliation. Jesus was not at all concerned about his self-image. Jesus did not scroll through Amazon for 35 minutes to find this jacket. That was me. That was not Jesus. Jesus did not order five pairs of white tennis shoes for this outfit only to be sent. Poetic justice. Only to be sent size 2 little girls dress shoes in place of size 14 white tennis shoes. God has a sense of humor even in this. True repentance. The 10-point plan here. It means that we consider the voice that God's already sent us. It means that we consider the voices God's already sent us. Think about that. How many times in hindsight do we look back and we say, man, our spouse was right, or man, our pastor was right, or my friend was right, or whoever it was was right. In hindsight, everything is 2020, And so when we look back, it's very easy to see. But I want to tell you, true repentance a lot of times is examining the voices that God has already placed in your life and the counsel that's already been given to you. A lot of times God... By the time you get to a point where you are really open and ready to go, you can look back and say, man, that person's been giving me that counsel all along. I wish I wouldn't have had to wrap my car around a tree from being drunk because my parents and my friends and everybody else had tried to get me to stop drinking. Yeah. Reconsider the voices God's already put in your life today. And by doing so, that's step one towards true repentance. Two, it means that we see our circumstances as a door of opportunity and revelation. A lot of times when we have circumstances surrounding repentance or situations that are are tense, we see them as a trial. What if we saw them as as a door of opportunity? What if we saw them as an opportunity for you to say, God, what are you trying to grow me into? Why is it negative? God working in your life, why is that negative? We ask for the power of God to be able to come and move in our soul and in our spirit. We want to be changed on the journey. So why when God puts us into a trial, or more importantly, we put ourselves into a trial and God allows it, do we see it as negative rather than an opportunity? An opportunity. Two, see the circumstances as a door of opportunity in a way to have revelation from God. Three, humility. It means humility. You must be humble. Sometimes people got that right away. Like, as soon as somebody says, hey man, you offended me, you hurt me, something, they humble up right away. Sometimes you're wired like me, and it takes an awful long time for you to realize that you weren't being humble. You were being a word I can't say from the pulpit. But think of Balaam, okay? Think of Balaam. Humility. Four. It means we embrace compassion and not condemnation. Guys, in our little Sabbath-keeping area of Christianity, condemnation is huge. People want to know right away, just like any other denomination, you don't do this or you don't do that or you don't do that. It is absolutely possible to not condone but also not condemn. It's absolutely possible. That's not being lukewarm. Lukewarm is just focusing on what God has put in front of you and trying to live your life to move forward. It did, God didn't bring you into the Sabbath and into the blessings of the world so you could go spend the rest of your life in condemnation of others. And guess what? Unless they're asking you, they're not asking you to condone it either. They don't care. We need to move forward in our walk with God. And it takes true repentance. 
Five. It means that yesterday's disobedience does not define today's obedience. Six. It means we listen as an act of submission. That's tough. That's tough today. It's tough to listen to something and not immediately be looking at how you can respond. We are to listen as an act of submission. Number seven, it means we have an immediate response. If you're truly repentant of something, there is an immediate response. It's not a response that exists six months now, a year from now. Now, there might be further growth over a period of time. But if you're truly repented, it isn't, well, I'm really, really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. By the way, I'll fix that in seven months. Call my assistant. That's not true repentance. Number eight, it means we practice confession, not secrecy. Guys, I'm not asking you to be the TMZ of your friends. I'm not asking you to be e-entertainment television out there airing everybody's dirty laundry. You need to be daring, airing your own laundry whether it's in your small accountability group, whether it's with your, your spouses. If you practice secrecy, you are not repentant. You are shameful. There's a difference. Shame should lead to true repentance, but it doesn't always. In fact, a lot of times when you're shameful about something, it just leads to you just try to add more layers of a cover-up. Number nine, it means we accept the consequences for our shortcomings. Number 10, it means we make mercy a habit of our heart and our mind. Mercy to one another. Just because you know the sins of another person doesn't mean you get to be the judge because you were better at hiding your sins. Again, this goes back to the secrecy culture. Goes back to the secrecy culture. A lot of churches practice this nowadays. Nobody wants to talk about anything negative. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that everybody sins. And guess what you did? You probably sinned on the way to church this morning. If you got kids, it is almost inevitable that you will sin on the way to any place with your children. When you're doing sermon prep, it is absolutely possible to sin in your mind and your kids are running around throwing things around your head. It's absolutely possible. Some of you, this might hit a little bit too close to home. But look, we're a family church, and so I just want to be real with you. I want to leave you with four main things today. I know I got a lot of bullet points, four, ten, whatever. It's keeping you engaged. I'm trying not to yell as much today. I'm a yeller. I'm a, I'm a passionate dude. Um, Jesus demanded us to repent so that we could, four main things. The reason why Jesus commanded and demanded us to repent. Number one, so that you could fulfill your calling. Whatever that calling is. And that calling is, is something different for every person in this room. But make no mistake about it. Every single person in this room has some sort of calling that God gave you. Hands down. Hands down. Number two. So that you can resolve your past. There's way too many people who are walking around the kingdom of God, who are carrying, Messianics carrying a deer cart, but other people carrying a U-Haul full of the baggage of sins or past hurts or church splits or divorces or broken relationships or whatever it is. There's way too many people who literally are like going broke spiritually because their past is being drugged with them. If you believe that your past defines your present, then there's something you have not repented for. You have not let it go. Because it says when we have true repentance and we ask for the forgiveness of those sins, that that's as far as the east is from the west and it's been removed from us. So any carrying of the sin that you have already repented for of your past is a work of the adversary. It's not a work of the Lord. Number three, that you're looking forward at how to be a new creation. Every area of your life, every time we need repentance, every time we stumble, should be an opportunity for us to look forward of how God can use that in our hearts and our minds to make us a new creation. 
Number four, he demanded us to repent. And this is one of the most important things for where we're at right now in, as a church in the United States of America. So that we could tell our testimony of our story. How many of you have read the statistics, have read all the negativity about what's going on in the church? Millennials, 18 to 23s, leaving the church, the belief in Jesus on college campus has plummeted, all these things. They want a real Jesus. They want a real God. They want to know that God is real. I can tell you, you know how I know God's real? Not just because I can read words on a page, but because I can experience God through the things that have happened in my own personal life. You can argue with me theology and doctrine all day long, and we can end up either changing each other's mind or ending up on the same place with each other or maybe agree to disagree. But you will never take away the day I was 13 years old in a small Nazarene church in Mason, Ohio, and I gave my life to Christ face down on some of the nastiest carpet I have ever seen. It was miraculous. Maroon. My youth leader's name was Nathan. And three crosses, the stone was rolled away, was playing. You know, you'll never find the living among the dead. Yeah, I remember the song. You'll never take away that testimony of that experience that I had with God. You can take away my, my understanding of a Hebrew word or a Greek word or the historical context, or we can find something in an archaeological dig, and there's things that can happen that can change how we approach God with our mind. But you will never take away the testimony of what God did in my life. You, there's a man who was in the Messianic movement for many years. I won't name his name. He's very influential. The man ended up destroying his marriage destroying the movement as a whole for a while in the places he had influence. People wanted to condemn him, kick him away. He was non-repentant about the sin he was in. But I will never stop testifying that that man saved my marriage. A man who destroyed his own marriage, destroyed his own relationship with his own children, saved my marriage. There's power in our testimony. So repenting and drawing nearer to the Lord is so that we can tell our story of what God has done for us. Today is very similar like it was in the first century. And just like in the first century, on Saturday, they were waiting as Messiah laid in the tomb. Just like Today, on Saturday, we're awaiting for sundown because sometime between sundown and before the sun had broke on the dawn, Messiah walked out of that grave. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake. God likes earthquakes. Something powerful is happening. So that should change your mind as an oaky. Now that we have earthquakes, anytime there's an earthquake, you're like, oh, we're all going to die. Think back to Matthew. There was an earthquake at the death. There was an earthquake at the resurrection. Maybe God is just trying to like make you think about Jesus or something. Maybe somebody raised from the dead. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just saying, earthquakes were used in some pretty historical times. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Can you imagine seeing that? I would have been like, who put what in my drink? Mm, that would have been amazing to witness. I've been like, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled. And they became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here, for he is risen. And as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Tomorrow, we will start counting 50 days towards Shavuot. 40 days after the resurrection was the ascension of God. 
10 days after the ascension of God, was the Feast of Pentecost, also known as Shavuot. I believe God works power in the cycles of his feasts. I believe there's rhythms there. I believe there's rhythms in how the Holy Spirit works and manifests itself in, in individual lives and in homes and children and everything. I believe if you look at the Acts recounting of the time between, and we've done some of that already. We looked at Acts chapter 2 and table fellowship and what was there as the keeping of the body of Christ after he was gone. But Jesus called every person in a non-negotiable calling, and that is to believe and to repent. And if you've been baptized by water, but you don't feel like you've had the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your life, if you, if you feel like there are some areas there that the Holy Spirit, you're not, you're not producing the fruit that Galatians tells us we should see, I humbly submit to you that during this time, this counting of the Omer, as it's called, the counting of the days towards the Feast of Pentecost, practice repentance. In whatever area of, the, of your life that's there, whether it's anger, whether it's maybe you've just not been willing to abide, maybe it's you just haven't been present. Husbands, maybe you guys haven't been present enough in your house, whether it's with your children, with your wife. Wives, maybe you haven't been present enough with your husbands. Children, maybe you guys don't know how to practice direct obedience. Adults, maybe you don't know how to do direct obedience <laughs> before the Father when the Father tells you. Because ultimately, we're just, we're just more screwed up children when we get older. Maybe one day we'll actually get some wisdom or we'll get... But ultimately, practice repentance during this time because the Lord did pour out His Holy Spirit on the people in Acts 50 days after the resurrection. I believe He can do it anytime He wants. But I also know that He does do it when He does do His things because God works in order. He's not chaos. And so if there's an area of your life where you feel like you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit or that you're not producing that in your area, there is a, there's a window here. I don't have a book. I don't have a 10-step process. But God has a 50-day a process in here that's already written into his scripture. That means you don't have to set the goal too high. You don't have to like start like running two miles today and then you can't run anymore because you're hurting for 50 days after it. This is baby steps, but there's 50 days of life transformation that I believe you can have if you will approach the scriptures and realize that Jesus' blood atoned for your sins so that you could repent and be baptized, not just by water, but by the Holy Spirit. And when the church starts operating in the calling through repentance by the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't see graphs that talk about how many people want nothing to do with Jesus or God. You won't see graphs about how many fathers and mothers divorce each other in the church you won't see all the negativity we're seeing because no longer will we approach the atoning death of jesus as conditional or optional we will see it as a requirement to live and walk life i want to leave you guys with this today as ephraim makes his way up to close us out in the ironic blessing i want to leave you with uh with something from God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the whole only Son of God. And is 
This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The light of the world has come. It came because the light of the world loves you. The light of the world believes in you. The light of the world knew that somebody in this world needed your calling, your gift, your witness. But it tells us that people love darkness. We, we live in the 21st century. We know people love darkness. We know that 90% of the shows on Netflix are wrapped in darkness. We know that the majority of the things we see on the news is darkness. We know that people love darkness. We need to expose the secret dark places of our own hearts and our own minds and walk in repentance so we can actually walk in freedom in the calling of the power of the Holy Spirit for a world that is actively engaging in darkness. If not, if not for yourself, for your children. If not for yourself, for your mother or your father. If not for yourself, for the light you will shine and illuminate on some other life. For God so loved the world. Ephraim, if you will come. Come.